Hey, what's going on, Connect Church and all our online visitors and guests? Super happy that you're here with me today. I'm in God's house. You're in your house. We're going to have church at home today, and I'm excited to be with you. I've just, you know, gotten right off the vacation trail two weeks away, getting down, getting brown, having some fun at the beach, family, kids, grandkids, come on somebody, ice cream, stinking every single day. I worked out in the morning, so don't judge me, okay? But uh, I'm so happy to be back with you today. I love what was going on while I was away. I'll get to that in a second. Um, But I want to, uh, first and foremost, just encourage you, those that call Connect uh, your home, you're what I call family, or you're a frequent flyer. If you're on the fringe, we're inviting you in. Check us out a little more. But uh, things are starting to ramp up, okay? And so if you're not aware, there are a lot of activities uh, taking place, especially in the month of August and coming up, of course, in September. If you need more information, go to our website, weconnect.cc, and you're going to see a whole schedule there and a bunch of stuff that's happening. House parties and baptisms in four different locations. And uh, we've, of course, got, you know, small groups still going on. And we've got city groups starting next Sunday. What's a city group? It's just when uh, people are able to gather in different locations still within the COVID guidelines. And so we have four strategic locations already mentioned in Connect News. So go there and uh, do church with the family. Come on, somebody. Do church with the family. Some of you are really pumped about that. We're really excited. We believe that through this season, um, this COVID crisis, we don't believe we're in it, but that we're going through it. And not only that, we believe we're going to multiply. So this series is entitled Multiply, and we kicked it off about three weeks ago. So this is the fourth installment. The first installment, I really kind of talked about an obstacle to multiplication. And that was this, that there's this tendency for us to want to go back to the good old days and not, as a result, experience something new that God wants to do. And we know and we've experienced in other aspects of our life that new is always better. So we believe God has something new and it's going to be better than before. And I need you to get in line with that and believe God for that as we multiply. Then my son, who came along, the preacher, came along the last two weeks and uh, he talked about really um, what it means to be a soul winner. But before we can be a soul winner, we have to have a heart for souls, a burden for souls. We have to care about who God cares about. And then in the second uh, week of his um, preaching, the third week, third week in the series, he talked about um, kind of the practical side of it, Um, not just the heart of a soul winner, but he talked about the habits of a soul winner, you know, where we need to pray and we need to plant and we need to preach. Man, that was such a good message. If you think that was a good message, would you just light that up in the chat? Because my son's probably watching that right now and he loves a little bit of affirmation. Come on, somebody. But anyway, the, the motivation uh, for this first segment of this series, I'm really not certain how long this is going to be. It's the most important series of the year uh, for me as your pastor. But in the first segment of this, my heart is where it's at now is I want to get you poised, positioned, uh, prepared so that when you stand before God, you're face to face with Jesus Christ, you've done his work and you could be rewarded for it. And so my job is to point out these areas where God wants to do a work in us and then, of course, give you opportunities where he can do a work through us and help other people. And so, listen, we're not, 
uh, I'm kind of making a cultural statement here. We are not citizens of this world. We are um, not identified as Christ followers by our political views or by uh, social issues and our positions on those. We are citizens of heaven. We are children of God, and heaven is our home. And God's objective is for us as his children to take as many people as possible with us to heaven. Can I have an amen in the chat right now? So uh, we got to get a lot of people who don't know him to know him. Uh, people who are, our church name is Connect, to connect to God in relationship with him and then in purpose with him. The, the first part of our life really is to find him, and then the, the latter part of our life is to leverage our life for him. But many people who claim to be Christ followers are not preoccupied with or experiencing or um, uh, participating in helping people come to know God. And so this is going to have some elements of sobriety to it because uh, I'll say it like this. Why don't saved people get more people saved? Pause for effect. Now, I have one idea that I want to unpack today. Uh, Devin really addressed an aspect of this in the heart and the burden aspect of it. In other words, if we don't have a heart for the lost, a burden for the lost, we won't go win the lost. But what is another reason that we might not do that? And so I want to kind of delve in that today. And this topic will seem like, um, often is presented like a doctrinal message. Uh, but the purpose of it is to motivate you, uh, to inspire you, to multiply yourself in other people, to go into the world and fulfill the Great Commission, making disciples. And so I prayed for you, and I prayed for this service, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit speaks to you through me uh, in this, uh, whether it be live for you today or on demand later. Listen to me. I'll say something to you. Any one of us can fall away from the Lord. To the extent that we think that we are at this stage of our spiritual journey immune from falling away from the Lord, uh, we can get ourselves in trouble. We become vulnerable. The Bible says, if anyone thinks he's standing firm, be careful lest you fall. And so I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how many Bible verses you memorized. Uh, I don't care if you've heard the voice of God been used uh, mightily by God, uh, if for some reason uh, you doubt that you could not fall away, it is at that moment that you are taking steps towards a fall. And so I'm going to start the service like this by uh, giving a classic question that oftentimes comes up in a Q&A sessions right in this room uh, when I've been speaking and doing leadership things. The question is, can I lose my salvation? See, the title of the message is Saved to Save. But I think a lot of us don't see people saved, share our faith so they could be saved, lead people to the place where they are saved, because we ourselves might not be saved, okay? And so that's kind of where I'm going. And this question, can I lose my salvation, it's not an easy question. And so after 30 years of, nearly 30 years of ministry, here's my answer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it seems doubtful. And I have some particular um, 
scriptures and references and experiences and principles that I could delve into. But I, I, I think a better question is this. Why would you want to push the envelope? Why, why behind that question would we push the envelope? In other words, what concerns me with people who ask a question like that or think it and don't ask it is that people who are asking that often want to know how they can go to heaven and continue to still live like hell. Uh, if you're a believer and that may not be your concern, you uh, might have asked questions like this. How can I, uh, people do this with money sometimes. How can I, uh, what do I do, pastor? Do you give on the gross or do you give on the net? You know what's behind those questions? That particular one is what's the minimum I can do and still be okay with God? See, some of these things are a result of the roots not taking. Um, and we're trying in a sense to get away with something and still technically be okay with someone. See, God doesn't want technical Christians. God wants true Christians. Can I get an amen? He wants true followers of Jesus Christ that are all in. And so the question, can I lose my salvation, is really a dangerous proposition because if you've really been saved, if the uh, if you've experienced the extravagant grace of God, the mercy of God, contrasted with an awareness of your sin uh, and how far, how far you fall short of the uh, goodness and, and the perfection of God, you, when you receive that by faith, you should be really changed. You should be a different person. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says it like this. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Jesus came for all. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we looked forward with hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed when he comes back. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, part of his family. Totally committed to doing good deeds. Here's my question. Is that a description of you as a Christ follower today? Are you totally committed not only to uh, uh, receiving what he did for you, but are you totally committed to doing good works for him? See, if you're saved, this scripture and many others that we could reference, there should be results there should be results. So I like to say it, in, in other words, in response to your salvation, a byproduct of that is there should be multiplication. There should be growth. There should be change. God doesn't say to us, um, well, you know, buy their uh, Christian bumper stickers. We will know that they're Christ followers. Buy um, the Bible verses and their Bibles that they carry. We will know that they're Christians. It says, no, buy their fruit. We will know them. People should see changes in our lives that manifest, that are clearly uh, seen. 2 Corinthians 5.17 in the Phillips translation. Look at this. It says it like this. If anyone be in Christ, he is altogether a different person. The old things have passed away. Everything becomes fresh and new. 
Is that a description of a Christian to you? Is that a description of you? Are you fresh and new? Are you, from, are you a before and after picture? Are you altogether different than you once were? That is a sign and indicator that you are really, are you, you are really saved. But more often than not, and I would say in these last days, uh, there is this tendency for people to try to live in two worlds, to live on the edge in some in-between type state. And Jesus uh, warned us in, 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 in Revelation as he was referencing the church of Laodicea. In Revelation 3.15, it says, I wish that you were neither cold nor hot. How I wish you were one or the other so... Uh, um, I wish you were neither cold nor hot. How I wish you were one or the other so then because you are neither cold nor hot but lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. The, the uh, message translation says it like this. He will vomit us out of his mouth. Christ is saying, you know, this isn't working for me, a relationship like that. It, it, this is not what I'm this is not what I've called you to, what, I'm, what, I, what I came for you for. And so it reminds me uh, of those many nights uh, growing up. Uh, I'm a much more of a go-to-bed-early guy, get-up-early person now, but staying up and, and all those infomercials come on, right? You've seen them all. You know, the, uh, the, uh, the things that you can buy, the Ginsu knives that will cut through coins and metal and uh, the weight loss things where, you know, the shake weight. Oh, man, that one had me laughing in the, the average rollers and all these things and and these infomercials are pumping what you can get if you get this now you'll have this result or you'll have this experience as early as tomorrow and you get so excited only to be let down why because these things under promise and uh, they, excuse me, they overpromise and they underdeliver, right? Every single time it seems like you get it and you're so let down by it. And the truth is, there are many Christians who are overpromised and underdelivered. What I mean by that is they know about God, they know the, the, the words and the songs about God, but they are not doing anything about what they have learned and known. They are overpromised and they are underdelivered. Not living free. They're not living in a life giving way. And they're not living and moving and breathing, as it were, what God has done for them and giving it away to other people. And what happens is we have many Christians today who are lukewarm living in these two worlds. And God's he gets fired up about it. It's like a person going, I was recently with somebody saying, let's go get a cup of coffee. And, and um, we had a couple of people with us. And this one guy, was, he's fired up about Starbucks. And so, you know, he's ordering all this unbelievable stuff. Man, it sounded amazing. And then this other buddy of mine orders like a, a, a decaf, low-fat, you know, latte. And my buddy was like, what? Why would you even come to Starbucks if you're going to do that? There's no fun in that. You should, in other words, you should be either hot or cold. You either need to have a, a hot Starbucks with all this stuff in it or an ice cold coffee with all this stuff in it. But what you're doing, it's no fun. That's no fun. It's like, it's like drinking lukewarm coffee. Lukewarm coffee. Nobody, you either like iced coffee or you like a really tricked out coffee. Mo, mo, nobody likes lukewarm coffee. And God doesn't like lukewarm Christians either. Instead, Jesus wants us to be the salt. And when the salt has lost its savor, the scripture says, 
it's good for nothing. Lots of Christians are no longer salty. They are unsavory. They are decaffeinated Christians. And I think we need to decide how we're going to live, not live on the edge, live all in. Live all in. So, so back to the question, Petey, back to the question. Can we lose our salvation? Better question is, was the person even a Christian in the first place? This influences uh, it's kind of a catalytic effect, multiplication through you. If you really didn't get it right in the first place, it's not going to work itself out right along the way. Jesus talked uh, about this in the parable of the sower. He said one time a seed uh, hit a like hardened path, and because it hit that hardened path, it hindered the seed's ability to grow. The roots didn't go down deep. In Mark 4.16, it says like this. It says, these are like those who hear the word. They respond with such great enthusiasm, but because there is such shallow soil of character that when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there's nothing to show for it. He says they hear it. In other words, they hear it, but they don't obey it. So a lot of times things don't take because, see, obedience penetrates the clay or the soil of our character. So in order, in order for what we hear to actually manifest in fruit in our lives, there has to be obedience to what it is. So we are saved to save. I want you to write this big idea down. You see, you don't work for your salvation. You don't work for it. You work it out. You work it out. You don't work for your salvation. You work it out. Uh, and if a person is a Christian, we will see something. In other words, the best way to be sure that someone is a Christian in the first place is there's evidence. Come on, say that in the chat. There is evidence. There's evidence in their life. We're not saved by works. We're saved for them. And a good sign uh, that we are saved is there's evidence. There's, like, we call it like there's proof in the pudding. Something is clearly manifest uh, something transformational has transpired. So if you're really a Christian, you should see something. Matthew 7, 21, and the Amplified says, uh, not everyone will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, uh, and enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Matthew 7, 15 says, you'll know them, as I've already referenced, by their fruit. So I want to give you five tests very quickly, uh, five evidences so you can know you are a Christian. And these will help you. They, they will help you determine whether somebody you know is a Christian. But I would say apply this to yourself. If you're really a Christian, number one, you will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You will confess. Sometimes another word we could call is profess. Confess means to declare one's faith. Profess means to affirm or acknowledge your allegiance to something or someone. So whether it be profess or confess, God, uh, for us to be seen as Christians, for us to show the evidence of Christianity, we must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 1 John 4.15 says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God has God living inside, and that person lives in God. So that, that's not all you have to do, but that's the least you have to do. Back in the old days, when we would be in this church, uh, we used to call when people, we'd give a call for people to come to know Jesus, 
and then we would call them down front. It was a way that they could uh, go public with their, with their, their, it was a private decision that they had a chance to go public with. Now we do that in water baptism. It's, it, it, you know, your faith in Christ can be, can be personal, but listen, it was never meant to be private. Your faith in Jesus Christ, I'll say it again, was certainly a personal decision, but this notion that it was meant to be private is why we don't give it away. We've been deceived into thinking that we're supposed to hide our light under a bushel. No, the Bible says we're supposed to let it shine. Come on, everybody. Let it shine that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. If you confess me before men, Jesus said, I'll confess you before my Father that is in heaven. But he also said, if you deny me or you do not acknowledge me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So I'm not saying coming forward is a criteria for salvation or openly confessing Jesus Christ necessarily is. But it's a lead pipe cinch, as my daddy used to say, that if you're a Christian, you will do, you will do this. You will somewhere, somehow confess and profess that you uh, are uh, a Christian. You are a Christ follower. Another way to say it is other people should know you are a believer. Do they? Do other people in your life who are not Christians know you're a believer? Do Christians in your life think and know and see that you are a believer? You know, I had to wrestle this when I was a kid. I used to be ashamed of my faith. And I used to be ashamed of my father who was a man of faith. And I had to come to a, uh, some of these tests that I'm presenting to you, these truths that I'm presenting to you, I had to walk and work those things out. I also had to have an encounter with God in the first place that was legit and was real, where I accepted Jesus and understood what I was doing. I was seeing him not only as Savior, but I was seeing him as Lord. And then I began to not just hear, but begin to obey. And then the roots began to take root in my life. And my life began to be changed. And as a result, other people's lives were changed in the process. Here's number two. If you're really a Christian, you will obey the commands of Christ. You'll obey the commands of Christ, not perfectly, but progressively, not faultless, but faithful. Okay, so there should be a continued transformation, a continued, big word, sanctification. And so 1 John 5, 3 says it like this. Are you getting something out of this, everybody? I hope this is ministering to you. I know I'm being blessed. I'm preaching to myself this message for the first time. 1 John 5, 3 says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. So if you love God, you'll keep his commands. And then he says, and his commands are not burdensome. Hmm. See, I... I, at one time in my life, saw the commands of God as burdensome. In other words, I, I thought they were hard, they were difficult. Now, I don't think they're a piece of cake, but if you love God, the com you want to obey the commands of God, and they're not burdensome. Fascinating. What's the key there? I would say to you that love is the key, fear is the lie. Love is the key, fear is a lie. Because it's like, it's like driving down the road. You've probably been like me, driving down the road, and a cop pulls up behind you. And they haven't turned their lights on, but they're trailing you. And if you're all fearful and freaked out, and you're faking like you've been keeping the, the speed limit, you know what I mean? That's, that's fear driving you to keep the laws of man. See, but if, 
If you are calm and cool and collected because you are obeying the laws anyway, then when a cop pulls up behind you, you're fine. You don't see that as punishment coming. You see that as protection present. And so a lot of times we struggle with the commands of God because we haven't experienced the love of God. We don't see God right. And your view of God has determined your relationship with him and has determined your ability to get other people in relationship with him. Because nobody wants to follow after fear, but People are super attracted to love. Come on, somebody. That is good. So many obey the commands they want to obey and ignore the ones they don't like. A true believer should listen, not only do it, but want to obey the commands of God. The commands of God are not like a buffet. I like this. I don't like that. I, I want to do this, and I'm going to ignore that. No, if we love God, we keep his commands. We do whatsoever. Jesus said, whatsoever. You are my friends. If you are my friends, you will do whatsoever I command. He didn't say whatsoever you find easy, whatsoever you agree with. No. Someone once said to me one time, what do you do when you stumble upon a verse in the Bible that you don't agree with? (laughs) This is a classic question. It happens a lot. And I just said, you change your opinion because you're wrong. You're wrong. I don't understand. Here's the thing. If you don't understand the Bible, it's because you don't understand. Think about that for a little bit. Just chew on that. Hashtag Selah. I know it's kind of deep. But the Bible is infallible. It is uh, inerrant. It is inspired. It's incapable. If you're a true Christ follower, you come to the conclusion that it's incapable of making a mistake, that it's trustworthy. That's what it means to be infallible. Inerrant, it's without error. There's the absence of contradiction. It's inspired. God gave it to us right from his very mouth, right from, in one translation, it says the nostrils of God. Number three, oh, so good. If you're really a Christian, you will be You will be extremely unhappy and miserable when you're sinning. Come on. That is is so true. 1 John 3, 9 and 11 says, Those born from God don't practice sin. They don't habitually sin. Because this is so cool. This is in the uh, Common English Bible. It says, because God's DNA remains in them. That's, that's so cool. They, because God's DNA is, remains in them, they can't sin. This is talking about continual sin, not periodic or, or um, intermittent sin. Um, they can't sin because they're born from God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are apparent. This is how you separate them and distinguish them. Everyone who doesn't practice righteousness is not from God, including the person who doesn't love a brother or sister. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. Love each other. See, when you are a real believer, you will not be happy in sin. You will be miserable. If you are miserable today, I just want you to know you're, it's good because you're, you're a Christ follower. You're truly a Christian. But I didn't think I was going to get encouragement for being miserable today, but thank you for that, Pastor. But I'll take it a step further, though, or flip it a switch a little bit. If you are comfortable in sin, maybe you're not a child of God. If you're comfortable in sin, maybe you're not a child of God. See, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So he correlates discipline to love and punishment to acceptance. Fascinating. In other words, if you feel uh, disapproval, if you feel disappointment and even discipline from God when you're in sin, that's a good thing. 
You need to make sure you always... That's saying your conscience is not seared or too callous. You're not so far away from God that he can't arrest you and pull you back. He says in Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12 8, if, conditional word, if you are not disciplined um, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. In other words, he's saying you are children that are fatherless. And so if your conscience is troubled about some things that you are doing, that should be good news to you that you are, in fact, a child of God. I am a child of God. Number four, if you're really a Christian, I got two more, uh, you keep yourself safe, S-A-F-E, or you keep yourself guarded from the devil. If you're really a Christian, you keep yourself safe. 1 John 5.18 says this, We know that everyone born of God does not sin, but the one born from God guards themselves. One translation says, keeps themselves, and the evil one can't touch them. Can't touch this. I want to do a song. I could dance it out, but I'm not going to do it. I know some of you are dying for me to do it, but I won't. My family would be very embarrassed. Okay, but now John is saying something. He's saying we need to keep ourselves not saved. We need to keep ourselves safe. I need to keep myself safe. Jesus gets you saved, but you keep yourself safe. There's a difference, okay? And so that means I must avoid certain people, places, and uh, you know activities. I must remove myself so the devil can't tempt me. And I must intentionally get near some people, places, and do certain activities in order to stay in the faith and faithful. So uh, this is so, so key. Number five, write this down. You are a real Christian, number five, if you love and do life with other Christians. You are, this is the evidence, five you know, aspects or, or tests that there is evidence in your life of really being a Christian if you love and do life with other Christians. Now, first, you should love who God loves. 1 John 5, 1 says, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born from God Whoever loves someone who is a parent loves the child born to the parent. So lots of people say, you know, PD, me and God is enough. I've just found, you know, I'm good all by myself. All by myself. No, you're not good all by yourself, okay? I, I haven't found a church that I like, you know. Uh, you know, besides pastor, you know, Sundays is my only day. I work six days a week. Sunday's my only day off. And I'm like, that's nice. That's, that's nice. But that's not in the Bible, and that's not how Christians behave. What does the Bible say, De Derek? Let me tell you. I'm so glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, some people, everybody say some people. I don't want to be these people, but some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship. Now, I would, I would venture to say, and I know there's some summer stuff going on, so if those of you, you know, went away for a little bit and came back, hey, no judgment, no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but there are some who are not here here right now, who are not watching, who are not online, who will not watch this service on demand, some people who have stopped meeting together like they should be doing and like should be a habit in their life, worshiping together. And he says, but we must not be those people. We must not do that. We should keep on encouraging each other. Hey, hey, where you been? I missed you. Where? That's what I loved about physical churches because you could be like, hey, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. You know, you, know, you kind of want to be like, how have you been? I haven't seen you in a little bit. Now it's a little harder, so we have to be a little more intentional 
in our own personal lives about still going to church, about still worshiping together, but we should be encouraging each other. Look what it says, especially since you know that the day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. Come on, we learned that in our last series. So it doesn't say anything about, oh, six-day week, take a day off, or, you know, I haven't found a church, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. No, it just says, if we are a believer, we love other Christians, and we do life with them too. In fact, it's so beneficial for you. Here's an incentive. 1 John 1, 7 says, but if, always has these conditions, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and then benefit the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. So we don't get the benefits of the blood of Jesus purifying us from our sin if we're not walking in the light, but we're not in fellowship. In other words, he's saying we are in the dark. If we're not in fellowship, people that are not in fellowship with other believers, doing life with other believers, you're in the dark. You need to be in a spiritual family. There's darkness around. You can't see clearly. God will help you see more panoramically or a more 360 view when you're in fellowship with other people. The evidence that you are walking in the light is that you have fellowship with other people and the blood of Jesus goes to work for you and cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Many people are walking around in the world today in habitual sin with, their, with, with like blinders on. The mask is over their eyes, not just their mouth knows but if this is how it should be read because all this this verse is written in the progressive continual sense it's if I continually walk in the light and I am in continual fellowship with other believers then the blood of Jesus will continually cleanse me from all sin come on somebody so we don't work for our salvation we work it out. Come on, somebody. We don't work for our salvation. We work it out. But Pastor D, it's hard to work it out. It's not easy. And I understand that. But I want you to know something. God is going to help you. God is going to help you. I want to give you this closing text. Look what this scripture says. It says in Philippians 2.13. I'll read it from two translations. It, parentheses. When you're really saved, you need to know something. God is working in you to make you willing and able to obey him. Uh, another translation, the, the Passion Translation says, God will continually revitalize you, implanting within you the passion to do what pleases him. See, know that the desire to please him, if that is in you, uh, that's a sign that you are saved. He, it's a sign that he is working in you. And so if he gave you the desire, he will give you the corresponding power to do his and follow his and obey his commands and be a person who gives away what God has given you as a Christ follower. God is going to do that through you. Philippians 2.13 gives us that promise. So, sir, ma'am, boy or girl, why are you listening today? Why, why did you come? Why are you interested in what the Bible says? Why do you want to be more godly? Because you're just a wonderful person and you were born that way? I think not. I think it's because you're that way because God has put desire inside of you. He's working in you to both will and do his good pleasure. 
So what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray for you right now because I think some of you want to grow and you want to be a person who can grow other people and, 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 and not only shape and fashion your life into the image of Jesus Christ, but help introduce and invite other people into relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's some that are out there that only you can reach, that, that only you can touch, that only you can lead to Jesus Christ, and they would become and, and come to faith and get saved because of you. God has called each of us to reach another person, each one reach one. And I'm challenging you as a pastor because I want you to stand before God one day knowing that you've done his work and you be rewarded for it in Jesus' name. But uh, in order for that to happen, some of you, you need to get really saved. Like you need to stop playing games and living on the fence and living in two worlds. And so if that's you today, with every head bowed wherever you are, every eye closed wherever you are, just look at your own heart. Don't look at even the screen, the computer, the phone, the iPad. Just look at your own heart right now. I want you to ask God. I want you to ask God, Lord, are, are, you, are you seeing, are you displeased with me like you were the church of Laodicea? Do you see me as lukewarm? I, I don't want you to spew me out of your mouth. Lord, I, it's, I know you'd rather I'd be hot or cold, but Lord, out of those two, I know you'd rather I'd be hot and on fire for God. So Father God, I pray that you reveal your love to me. Because I think God looks at you like he looked at Peter after Peter denied him three times. I don't think he looked at him with eyes of disappointment and you idiot, I can't believe you just did that. His eyes pierced right through Peter, I think with the greatest love. And I think as a byproduct, see Peter would have gone away condemned, he wouldn't have gone away transformed. He changed after that. And I think God wants to do the same thing through you. And I think he's looking at you, even in that lukewarm state, maybe disconnected from God too. He's looking at you, uh, not even in relationship with him. And he's looking at you with eyes of love. So if you're a backslidden, lukewarm Christian, or if you are a person who's never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, now is the, now is the time, now is the day of salvation. For you who are backslidden, God is calling you home. God is calling you home. One of the ways you can know you're a believer is because you always come home because whatever that, that seed, that took. But if you're not Christ follower right now, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to pray this prayer along with that, that group of people too. Say this, say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. Of my free will and volition, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of the family of God. And Lord, I understand that you paid for my sin and I receive by grace through faith what you did for me. Now, Lord, I pray that you make me a new creation, that I be altogether a new person in accordance with 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that my old life would be over and my new life would begin today in Jesus' name. Today, I'm becoming a disciple. Today, I'm becoming a multiplier of Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, somebody. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap out there. All you in the chat, let's celebrate those people that are coming to Christ today or who will, who listen to this later. I love you. It has been an honor being with you. I can't wait to see you guys real soon in a physical gathering. God bless you.